Big Dogs Backyard Ultra. It's a race that starts easily enough. It's set in a wood in the backyard of the organiser whose pet bulldog is called Big Dog. <clears throat> and that's how it got its name, Big Dog's uh, Backyard Ultra. And it starts with the ringing of a bell. And all you need to do is to run 4.167 miles in the hour. Which isn't too difficult. I'm sure many of you could do that, no bother. Uh, walking pace is about 3 miles an hour, so 4.167 miles in an hour isn't too challenging. But the problem is that that race doesn't end there. After one hour, the bell rings again, and you have to run the loop again. An hour later, the bell rings again, and you have to run another loop once more. Then again in the next hour, and in the next, and in the next. 24 hours later, competitors have run 100 miles. But the race isn't over yet. It keeps on going. Hour after hour, 4.167 miles after 4.167 miles. Until there's only one person standing, ready at the start line, ready to run when the bell rings. Current record for this race was set two years ago, 2021, by a school teacher called Harvey Lewis. He ran for 85 hours, total of 354 miles. Gedris, going to sign up for this one next year? <laughs> Most of us, I'm sure, wouldn't even dream of entering into a race like that. But if we have put our faith in Jesus, then we're in a race that requires more dedication, more commitment, more perseverance than even this race. So much so that it's beyond what any of us can do on our own. We all need help. Supernatural help. So the writer of Hebrews goes on in his letter to teach us what we need to do so that we can run a better race. So we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12, just three verses this morning. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3, and Roz is going to come and she's going to read those verses to us. Thank you, Roz. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Thank you, Ross. In the original Greek language, there's just one exhortation in this passage, one appeal, something for us to do. That is, let us run. We've been called to run the race. 
Now, we need to be really clear about this. This is not a race where that we are racing against each other. There's no place for rivalry or competition within God's people. Rather, each of us should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it's not competition, it's cooperation that should define us as a church. Neither is it suggesting that the Christian life is only for those who are strong enough, or who are fit enough, or who are healthy enough. As the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So it's not about how strong you feel this morning. And neither is it suggesting that salvation is something that we need to strive for. Something that we need to work towards. Something that we need to earn. Our place in God's family can only be received as a gift of God's grace through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So rather, this is a call to run the race. Because it's an emphasizing that living for God is not something passive. We're not just called to sit back and let it happen. Neither is it just something that happened sometime in the past. You know, when you prayed a prayer. Or you responded to an appeal at an evangelistic meeting. Or you said yes. Living for God is something that we're called to live out every day, actively. Each day of our lives, we are called to run this race of faith. And as we do this, we're called to stick to the course. To run the race marked out for us. People are always looking for ways to make the race a little bit easier. In 2011, a guy called Rob Sloan, he finished third in a marathon in Northumberland in the UK. All sounded great, but he was later disqualified when it was discovered that for part of the race, he'd actually taken the bus. And then just this week, I don't know if you saw it in the news, a Scottish ultramarathon runner. She was disqualified from a 50 mile race from Manchester to London, to Liverpool, sorry. Because it found that she'd taken a car part of the journey. <clears throat> Some of the original leaders, uh, readers of this letter, they were also being tempted to try to look for ways to make this race easier. They were facing intensifying persecution and opposition. And they were saying, well, what can we do to make it easier? And so they were thinking about going back to their religion. The religion they come from. The safety and the familiarity of all of that. Just to make it a bit easier. Now these days, many people would claim that that wouldn't matter. Because in the end, all roads lead to God. So it doesn't matter what path you're on. 
doesn't matter what you believe or what you do. Just run your own race. Just do what you want. Because in the end, it all leads to the same direct, uh, destination. But that's not what the Bible says. Proverbs 14 and 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Go your own way. It leads to destruction. Do your own thing. It leads to disaster. If we want to experience God in our lives and spend eternity with Him, then we mustn't look for alternative routes or for shortcuts or for easier ways. We can't go any old way that we want. Each of us need to run the race marked out for us. Because there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is our race. A lifelong journey of trusting in Jesus. Of depending on Him. Of following Him. That's the race marked out for us. That's the only race that leads to God. And so it requires perseverance. Let us run with perseverance. The race of faith is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So like the race that I mentioned at the beginning, starting with enthusiasm and energy is relatively easy. What's more difficult is to keep on going right to the end. Tragically, so many people start well only to fall away. We've experienced that in our church community. I've list the people in my head who have started so well only to fall away. But Jesus experienced that too. At the start, crowds of people followed Jesus. They were really excited about what he was saying and what he could do. But then later, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Maybe they didn't like some of his teaching. Maybe they were disappointed that he didn't do what they thought he should do. Maybe they weren't ready to accept the cost. So they threw in the towel. And walked away. Some of the original readers of this letter, they were being tempted to do exactly the same thing. So the letter was written so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So you will not give up. It's so easy to get tired, to get discouraged, to feel emotionally fatigued with the battle of living for Jesus. It's so easy to feel like giving up. Can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm out of here. I would imagine that many of us 
know what that feels like. So we need commitment. We need to persevere. We need to keep on going with endurance and enthusiasm right to the end. We need to finish well. This is what the Apostle Paul expressed when he was heading to, uh, to minister in Jerusalem. He knew that he was in, he was in uh, danger when he went, if he went there. But he said this, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He was committed to going right to the end. Right to the finish line. And that's a commitment that we need in all of our lives. But how? How can we do this in our lives? How can we run our race, sticking to the course, right to the end? Well, there are three keys in this passage. Three ways that we can persevere in this race. Let's just have a quick look at each of them. First of all, you need to hurl the hindrances. Verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. If you're going to go for a run, if you're going to go for a run in a race, you just need to, get, you need to ditch all the excess weight. Get rid of anything and everything that's unnecessary for that race. Some of it may not be bad in itself, but if it's going to hold us back in that run, then it has to go. And it's the same in our Christian lives. If we're going to run a race right to the end, we need to ditch everything that holds us back. Now that obviously includes sin. All the wrong things that we might do or say, our wrong behaviours or habits, our thought processes, our attitudes, everything that goes against God's, God's character, God's plan, everything that dishonours His name. We need to get rid of that. Because there's no such thing as a harmless sin. There is no such thing as a harmless sin. Listen to what Jesus said. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin always entangles us. It wraps around our souls. Pulls us away from the right path. And it traps us in a cycle of self-destruction. Now, of course, if we have trusted in Jesus, then that sin has been dealt with once and for all. Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's what we've just celebrated in our times of communion together. Through our faith in Jesus, we have been fully and eternally forgiven. Completely cleansed, declared righteous in God's sight forever. But if we're going to run our race effectively, 
then we need to live in the reality of that. We need to let that truth that we've just celebrated this morning impact how we live every day. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. If we, through our faith in Jesus, have been set free from the penalty and the power of sin in our lives through our faith in Christ, then we do not need to let it rule in our lives any longer. Instead, every day we can reject it, we can repent of it, we can throw it off. And increasingly commit our lives to following Jesus. Living out that new life in Christ. That's an ongoing process in all of our lives. We never get to the stage where we don't have to do that. We don't have to battle with sin. Where we don't have to live a life of repentance. And also confession and experiencing God's daily forgiveness. Every single one of us, we have to throw off that sin that so easily entangles. But it's not just sin that we need to reject. Do you see what it says in verse 1? Let's throw off everything that hinders. There are lots of things that might not be wrong in themselves. But if we have them in the wrong place in our lives, then they can hold us back from running a race. In his parable of the sower, Jesus talked about the person who was like the seed that fell among the thorns. They, they hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. In our lives, there can be thorns that hold us back, that choke the life out of us. It could be money and possessions, like in that verse. But it also could be a whole load of other things. Our homes, our hobbies, our entertainment, social media, our career, our sport, our families. The list just goes on and on and on of potential things that could hinder us. All these things are not necessarily wrong in themselves, of course not. But if they have the wrong place in our lives, then they can so easily hold us back from living out the life that God has called us to. So this is Jesus' call to us. Luke chapter 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If we are going to run this race with perseverance, we need to daily give up what we want, what we think, and instead daily accept Jesus as Lord of everything. He needs to be our first priority. He needs to be our goal. 
But secondly, to help us to do this, we can follow the faithful. Look at verse 1 again. Right at the start. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now this, this obviously, if you've been with us, you'll know this obviously refers back to what we've just looked at in Hebrews chapter 11. That great list of men and women of faith. People like, like Noah and, and Abraham and Moses and Rahab. Now some people have suggested that these people are like spectators in the stands. Watching us. Kind of cheering us on from heaven. Don't really think that's what the Bible talks about. Don't think there's any idea in the Bible that people in heaven can kind of look down on us and watch us and see what, what's going on here on earth. Don't think heaven would be much like heaven if it was. So instead I think that it is clear that these witnesses are those who through the scriptures, through the Bible, they testify to the faithfulness of God and the effectiveness of the faith. They are witnesses in the sense of kind of standing in the courtyard and giving witness to who God is. They are people who have already run this race. But now they're giving witness to us. They've put their trust in God. And they've discovered that God is trustworthy. They've proved that He is faithful to all of His promises. They've demonstrated that no matter what it costs, no matter how unlikely it seems, or how difficult it is, or how long it takes, depending on God is always worth it. That's what they say to us through their lives recorded in the Scriptures. So if we want to run our race with perseverance, we need to follow their example. Learn from their experiences of God. Be encouraged by the evidence that they provide of God's goodness and His faithfulness and the value of trusting in Him. And that of course means that we need to be students of the Bible. We describe ourselves as a Bible-believing church. Bible-believing Christians. But we need to be more than that, don't we? We need to be Bible-reading Christians. We need to be a Bible-reading church. And then we need to be a Bible-living-out church. We need to live that out. Take the lessons that, we've, that we read in the Scriptures and put them into practice in our lives. Reading all of it. The Old Testament as well as the New Testament. That's because Paul says in Romans 15, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Folks, if you're struggling today in your Christian life, if you're not sure if living for Jesus really is worth it, Get your Bibles and start reading. And see on every page reasons why 
living for God is always worth it. But finally, there's a, an even better example that we need to learn from. And this example is the one that this letter has been encouraging us to concentrate on right throughout the whole letter. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. There are so many things that demand our attention these days, aren't there? We live in such a distracted world. A world where there is so much information, so much entertainment that is always instantly accessible. I read that someone calculated that if you watched everything that was on the the Netflix streaming service, assuming that there was no new titles added, just what was available today, it would take you 36,667 hours to watch it all. Four years, two months, and eight days of non-stop binging. All accessible from your phone or from your laptop or from your TV. And then with social media, well, you could spend all day, every day, just scrolling through everybody's, everybody else's life. Watching what they're doing. Listening to what they are saying. Letting them influence how we think. No wonder we're so easily distracted these days. study from the University of California, they reported on the decline of our ability to focus. They reported that in 2004, they measured the average attention on a screen. That was, it was two and a half minutes. Somebody could focus. Some years later, they found it was 75 seconds. Now it's closer to 47 seconds. We struggle to focus. We struggle to concentrate. We're so easily distracted. We're like that, that dog in the, the movie Up. Anyone ever seen the movie Up? Squirrel. But if we're going to run the race for God, we need to focus. We need to concentrate. We need to fix our eyes on one person. One person alone. We need to consider Jesus. We need to intentionally focus on Jesus. We need to think about Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus. That's because only Jesus can save us. He is, verse 2, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's our champion. He's our leader. He's our forerunner. He's our pioneer. He's the first cause of our faith. He has run the race before us, showing us what it means to trust in God with our whole lives. And he did this in the most difficult of circumstances. Because he endured such opposition from sinful men. He's the author, but he's also the perfecter of our faith. He's a finisher. He's the completer of it. Because he endured the cross. Through sacrificial work on the cross, he completed the work that his father gave him to do. And that's why he was able to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
He took that place of honour and glory because his work was done. His sacrifice was over. Our sin debt was paid in full. And now he is interceding for us at the Father's right hand. And so as we've seen in, in the book of Hebrews, by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. If we want to be perfect in God's sight, all we need to do is trust in Jesus. All we need to do is look in faith to Him and depend on His perfect sacrifice on the cross. If you've never done that, if you've never asked Him to forgive you based on what He has done, not based on what you have done, but simply based on His finished work on the cross, then this could be the day. This could be the moment that you put your faith in Him and accept the gift that He paid for with His life. We just need to look to Him. But we also need to keep on looking to Him. So that we can finish this race that God has marked out for us. So we can persevere right to the end. We can depend on His presence with us. We can depend on His intercession for us. And we can follow His example of faith. Jesus went to the cross, verse 2, scorning its shame. Just a little little phrase. Scorning its shame. The the, The cross was a place of shame, and disgrace. In the Roman world, it was reserved for slaves and criminals, the worst of the worst, the lowest of the lowest. So, hanging on that cross, Jesus was being treated as valueless, worthless. But Jesus endured the cross because he treated his humiliation. As valueless. It was that he scorned the scorn. Because he saw ultimately, he saw that shame ultimately as insignificant compared with the joy set before him. By faith, Jesus was able to look beyond the cross. Beyond the agony. Beyond the shame. And see what was not yet visible. To see the joy that was to come. The joy of sitting at his Father's right hand in glory. The joy of saving those who who put their trust in him. The joy of sharing in his Father's glory and bringing many sons to glory. You and me. If we put our clear trust in Jesus. And he saw that through faith. And he says, said the cross. It's worth it. It's worth it. 
He endured the cross. He completed the race. He finished his work because he believed that all that he was going to endure would pale into insignificance with the glory that was to come. And that is the attitude that we need if we are not going to grow weary and lose heart. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8. I consider... That means he's thought about it. He's taken some time to consider this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Apostle Paul scorned the shame of suffering for Christ so that he would be able to rejoice. And sharing in the glory of Christ. And today that's what we are called to do. Scorn the suffering. Scorn the struggle and the shame. Because they are not worth comparing with the joy that we will experience when we see Jesus face to face. So folks, this is our calling. Run the race. Run the race marked out for us. Living out our faith right to the end. And do this. Well, to do this we need to hurl the hindrances. We need to get rid of the sin and all that other stuff that will just hold us back. We need to follow the faithful. Letting the Bible testify to God's faithfulness. But more than anything else. We need to concentrate on Christ. Trust in Him. Follow Him. The one who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and is now seated at the Father's right hand where He ever lives to intercede.